Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. In this sermon, our head pastor, Dr. Rhett Payne, studies the book of Romans. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of his word. Let's begin. Let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans the 8th chapter. This is the series of the book of Romans. This is part 16 in the series. Today the title is God Our Father. We'll start at verse 5. My sources include Derek Thomas' book, How the Gospel Brings Us All the Way Home, uh, the book by Stuart Aliot, The Gospel As It Really Is, a message by Brian Bill, Allowing God's Spirit to Lead You, and then the book by John R.W. Stott, Men Made New. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 5. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. This is the word of God. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children... Then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Apostle Paul's life, leading him to write these words from you. Would you speak to us now and help us to understand this word? And I pray with thanksgiving in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know about you, but I I like clearing my debts. I don't like to have debts hanging over my head. Obviously, as a homeowner, I long for the day when I will no longer have a house payment. 
My point is the obligation I have to the lender is always in the forefront of my mind. And as a believer in Jesus Christ as Lord, I have an obligation also to Jesus Christ. And that is always in the forefront of my mind as well. Which leads me to ask, what naturally comes to mind when you're not thinking about anything in particular? What what comes to mind just naturally when nothing is really occurring to you at the time? What is the default setting of your mind is what I'm getting at. You know, how our our phones, our computers, uh, even our printer asks this question, Would you like this to be your default setting? It's asking, would you like this to be what you normally turn to? And so in verse 5, Paul says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So, from the outset, you need to know that Paul is not contrasting two different types of Christians, as some have taught. He is not contrasting someone who lives on a higher spiritual plane with someone who lives on a lower spiritual plane. The passage is not capable of this interpretation. He's contrasting a true Christian with someone who is not a Christian. And so, this morning, let's look at three lessons Three key words in our text for this morning. The first being debt. Debt. Look at verse 12 again. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. It says in verse 12. We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. So the term, the word for obligation is the term debt. The word refers to one who owes another and is therefore under obligation to live a certain way. So the question is, what is this obligation? The obligation is to live a righteous life, to live a Christ-like life. Now, we have no obligation, according to the scripture, to the sinful nature to live according to it. In other words, our old sinful nature has no claim on us, so we owe it nothing. Our obligations instead to the Holy Spirit to live according to the Holy Spirit's desires and dictates. But as you know, it's not that simple, is it? So let's refresh our memory. Every Christian, and this is in your outline, every Christian has the Holy Spirit living inside of him or her. If you're a Christian, if Christ is your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The late John R.W. Stott, one of my sources, says this, We are under a most solemn obligation to be what we are, to conform our conduct to our character, to do nothing inconsistent with the life of the Holy Spirit within us, but rather to nourish this life and to foster this life. So how do we do that? How do we nourish and foster the life of Christ that God has given to us? Well, I put a couple of terms there in your bulletin outline. Two ways. One, by mortification. Mortification. Look at verse 13. If you live according to the flesh or your sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. 
So in the King James Version, which is, you know, the original authorized version, the word is mortified there where it says put to death in the NIV. You mortify, which means to kill the old sinful nature. And I submit to you that the scripture means exactly what it says. There is to be no peace with sin. You cannot show sin any mercy. Jesus said it this way. Look with me in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. In the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 29. Matthew 5, verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, Jesus was speaking here metaphorically. I hope you know that. He didn't mean that you're to literally gouge out your eye. He meant that battling sin is to be taken seriously. And it's interesting that in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, the most prevalent sin had to do with sex. <laughs> Some things never change. The number one sin that young men struggle with today is pornography. Pornography, which is why the Apostle Paul said this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Turn to Colossians, the back of the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. It says, put to death, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your sinful nature. And what is listed first? Sexual immorality. Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Which brings me to the Super Bowl halftime show. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I like Shakira and I like Jennifer Lopez. Uh, they're very beautiful women and they're extremely talented women. But it was over the top, wasn't it? I mean, it was really strange to watch that and all of a sudden to see some ropes come out. I'm like, what, what are the ropes for? Um, and then to see a stripper pole. Um, yeah, a little bit over the top is an understatement. Especially when you know that this culture is so saturated with sex everywhere you turn. And yes, they can dance. Oh, my word, can they dance? But... Do you always have to do it provocatively in such a way that it excites the mind and gets the mind thinking about things that the mind doesn't need any help to think about? And that's my question today. John Owen lived in the latter part of the 17th century, and yet his words sound incredibly pertinent in the 21st century. Here's what he says. The choicest believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin ought to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. And that same, same uh, wonderful theologian, John Owen, also once said to the believers this. You need to be killing sin or it will be killing you. So let me see if I can explain what's involved in mortification. We must apply by faith what God has already done in fact. 
We must apply by faith what God has already done in fact. You know, we studied in Romans 6, chapter 6 of Romans, verse 11, where it says, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Well, several things. It means to ruthlessly reject the practices of your life that you know are wrong. To daily repent of all known sins that you're struggling with. To identify your spiritual weak spots, according to Jeremiah 17, verse 9. To turn from sin in the first three seconds from all known sins. From the temptation that you're dealing with, according to Proverbs 4, verse 15. And don't deal with sin on a superficial level. Get to the heart of it, according to Jeremiah 6, verse 14. Place Hedges between yourself and sin, according to Proverbs 5, verse 8. In other words, don't put yourself in a position of being exposed to things that are going to hurt you and lead you into temptation. And then look for the way of escape, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says, No temptation has taken us, but that which is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you, He will not let you suffer. He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under the temptation. And so we have to constantly, as followers of Christ, realize we're going one direction. Our culture is going right the other direction. And you must be willing to battle this sin that comes your way. So mortification is the first term I want you to see under debt. And then the second word is aspiration. Aspiration. And I'm using the word as a take on something that you aspire to be and aspire to do, which would mean setting your hopes and your ambitions toward achieving something. And in this case, it's setting your minds on the things of God as your default setting. So look in Colossians again. We were in Colossians 3. Look in Colossians 3 again. And this is Colossians 3, a little bit earlier than verse 5, verse 2. Colossians 3, 2. It says, set your minds, set your minds. In other words, it's something that you as a believer in Christ can do. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's a wholehearted giving of ourselves in thought and energy and ambition to Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, according to Philippians 4, verse 8. So aspiration includes a diligent use of the means of grace. So what are the means of grace? Prayer, Bible study, worship like you're doing this morning, the Lord's Supper, which we'll receive next Sunday, and fellowship with like-minded believers. And, you know, in terms of habits and temptations and struggles with sin, you know what breaks the hold of a habit? Confession. Confession. Transparency. Confessing to someone that you're close to about the struggle that you're having in your life. If you keep your struggles to yourself, then they're going to get bigger. The more you can open up your life to someone that you trust. And again, you don't open up your life to everyone. But you open up to people that you trust, that you respect. 
that you have a friendship, a kinship with, and you confess to them and ask for their prayers, and you ask them to pray for you whenever you need prayer. You see, we tend to live our lives in secret, hiding our struggles, because after all, it's my business. I don't want anybody messing with my business, right? (laughs) The options available to the believer are clearly spelled out in our text. Either we aspire to the things of the Spirit, or we aspire to the things that are toward our sinful nature, Thanks to the secular environment in which we live, we are open targets for selfish interests all the time. So we have to be aware of our debt. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is delight. Delight. And I love this because we are free through Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 8, verse 14 again. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. And then it says in verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. This is the heart of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the book of Romans, we're not slaves who live in fear. And when you've received the Holy Spirit, you did not receive, quote, a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. In fact, fear can make you do some really crazy things. It really can. Things that have nothing at all to do with who you are in Christ Jesus. So on the contrary, through faith in Jesus Christ, you are now sons and daughters of the King. And you live in the security that you are loved through Jesus Christ by your Heavenly Father. Now, I want you to think about that. And if you're a female believer here today, and you might feel somewhat slighted by this whole thing of sonship, you need to know that in the Roman world, daughters could not normally receive full legal rights that sons receive. Paul was very much aware of that. And rather than diminishing the status of women, his wording actually elevates it. A woman may not be able to be an heir of a Roman father, but a believing woman, Paul wrote, is an heir of God. And so God is saying to us, the rights that have come to a son are also coming to all of you, men and women. First John chapter three, if you look in the back of your Bibles, first John chapter three has a beautiful verse. First John three, verse one. First John three, one, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what we are. Now, remember, not all human beings are God's children. Yes, God created all human beings, but not all of God's creatures are his children. Only those who have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ and have placed their trust in Christ, they are the ones who gain this special status, a status which allows us as followers of Christ to address God as Father through prayer. It could be, you know, you just breeze through this passage without giving it much thought. So I want you to slow down and take it in. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you now have the unspeakable privilege And I mean unspeakable privilege of addressing our great God as your father, as your father. And the term Abba is much like our term daddy that's in our text. 
Jesus called God his father. And did you know that enraged, enraged the Pharisees? They were so angry that Jesus called his father, father. And yet we are given that same privilege. Paul is reminding us of the privilege that's given only to those who have been adopted into God's family, who receive this spirit of adoption. And in the first Toy Story, you remember the, the Toy Stories, there's so many of them, but the first one is where Woody's this toy cowboy, and he confronts Buzz Lightyear, who's a toy astronaut, and the fact that he's not really a space ranger. You remember that? And uh, he's, he's just... He's just an action figure. And Woody gets really upset early in the movie and shouts, You're not a space ranger. You're an action figure. You're a child's plaything. Only after failing to fly, Buzz realizes the truth of Woody's statement. So he's pretty shook up after this. He's grief stricken. He's disillusioned. He hangs his head in, in, in resignation and declares, I'm just a stupid little insignificant toy. And Woody eventually learns he's really hurt, Buzz. And so he tries to comfort his friend by underscoring the love of the boy who owns them both when he says this. You must not be thinking clearly, Buzz. Look, over in that house, there's a kid who thinks you're the greatest. And it's not because you're a space ranger. It's because you're his. It's because you're his. And as Buzz lifts his foot... He sees a label affixed to the bottom of his little shoe. And there it is in permanent black ink, the name of the little boy to whom he belongs. Seeing the image of his owner, Buzz breaks into a smile and has this new sense of determination and confidence because of knowing he belongs to that little boy. Debt, delight, and ultimately our third lesson is destiny. And this is in verse 16 of the text. It says this, the spirit himself, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Do you know what that's like to have a sense within yourself, within your spirit that you belong to Christ, that you are his possession? And then it goes on to say, and if we're children, then we are heirs. You know, this is what happens to us when we start to recognize our status as children of God. We are no longer afraid or fearful of being rejected because of our struggles, because of our sins, because of our inadequacies. But instead, we're confident, we're secure in our relationship with Christ. And there's another beautiful aspect to this, and that's where he goes on to talk about being an heir. You know, your acceptance by God is not because of your performance. And you need to hear that. It's just like the sermon last week, which says there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There's no condemnation to us. And so in the final analysis, Paul is saying the spirit communicates to our spirit. We belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, again, I want you to totally embrace that today and think about how beautiful that is. That God is a God who loves you. And if you've trusted in his son, Jesus Christ, he forgives you of your sins and calls you not only his child, but his heir, his heir. Paul is saying we can enjoy a real, intimate and personal relationship with God as his children. This closeness, this intimacy that we have as children of God is much different than the formal way many people approach and address God. 
Many people have been taught that God is distant, that God is aloof. The idea of a direct personal relationship with him is unattainable. And so to counter that, the Bible teaches us that this is a false belief and that all Christians can and should enjoy a close relationship to God as father. So if you are in Christ, God is your father. And as such, he will listen to you. He will comfort you in times of trouble. He will speak to you through his word. He will direct your path and he will pour out his great love into your heart. So that as we go into this world and through this world, where is a lot of difficulty, we know that we have a God who is on our side, who is for us because he's our father and he cares about us. That brings us to our verse of the week, which is Romans 8, verse 17. Let's read it again. It's the last verse in our text. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Let us pray together. Father God, thank you for loving us in spite of who we are. In spite of the things that we've done. Thank you for washing away all of our sins. Through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for all you have done for us. To make it possible for us to know you. And so I pray for anyone in this place today that does not know you. They don't understand what it means to have a relationship with you. I pray, Lord Jesus, you will call that person to yourself. Speak to that person's spirit even now. Letting them know how much you love them and how much you've done for them. And Father, I pray that you will help us in this world in which we live, which is very difficult. It's not easy to live in this world and we want to seek the things of the spirit rather than the things of the flesh. So give us grace to do that, Lord, that we might be your obedient children, giving you honor and glory in the way we live. Help us to do that, Father. Through Jesus, I pray. Amen.